<clears throat> now that we have carefully reviewed the facts and have described the President's categorical obstruction of Congress, we address questions of law. This discussion need not be abstract. The President's obstruction impacts the Senate directly. It impacts the constituents you represent. It impacts you. Because your job as a member of Congress is to hold the executive branch in check. This is true no matter who occupies the White House or which party controls the House or Senate. And the further the President, any President, departs from the law and the Constitution, the more important it is for you to do your job. I suspect that there is common ground here. We all know that in order for Congress to do its work, we must have information. What is reasonable policy? What is the administration doing? Do we support it? Should we oppose it? Should we enact legislation to correct the problem? Asking questions, gathering information, making decisions based on the answers, this is one of the fundamental functions of Congress. I suspect that we agree on this as well. Our ability to do that work depends on our gathering information. It depends on the power of the congressional subpoena. Even when you make a plight request for information from a friendly administration, that request is backed by the threat of a subpoena. And although the power of the congressional subpoena has been affirmed repeatedly by the courts, enshrined in the rules of the House and Senate, and respected by executive branch agencies for centuries, if the President chooses to ignore our subpoenas, our power as a branch of government, our ability to do our jobs, our ability to keep an administration in check, our ability to make sure that the American people are represented by a Congress and not just by a President, is diminished. Please know that we are not talking about a disagreement over the last few documents at the end of a long production schedule. We are talking about a direct order from the President of the United States to completely disregard all our subpoenas, to deny us all information the President wants to keep secret. This is in order to deprive Congress of our ability to hold an administration accountable. It is a bid to neuter Congress, to render the President all-powerful, since Congress cannot have any, could not have any information the President didn't want us to have. Without information, we cannot act. And so we must ask, is there a consequence for a president who defies our subpoenas absolutely, who says to all, to all branches of the administration, do not obey a single congressional subpoena categorically without knowing the subject of the subpoena, just never answer a congressional subpoena, who denies Congress the right to any information necessary to challenge his power? Would Madison, Hamilton, and Washington support removing a president who declares that the Constitution lets him do whatever he wants and who brazenly adds that he can ignore any effort to investigate, even when backed by subpoenas that the law requires him to obey? The answer to all these questions is a resounding yes. But before diving in, I'd like to set the historical scene. The framers were wise, and so they worried that presidents would abuse their power for personal gain. They feared that someday a president might mistake himself for a king, whose decisions cannot be questioned, whose conduct cannot be investigated, whose power 
transcends the rule of law. Such a would-be king would certainly think things like, quote, I have the right to do whatever I want as president. He might believe that it is, quote, illegitimate for anyone to investigate him. Of course, not even the framers could have imagined that a president would say these things out loud. A president with this view of raw power would attack anyone who tried to hold him to account, branding them, quote, human scum and, quote, the enemy of the people. He would argue that courts have no power to enforce subpoenas against him. He would conscript his allies to ridicule Congress. He would harass witnesses who testified against him, declaring it disloyal to question his conduct. He would use the powers of his eye office to sabotage our system of checks and balances. All of this we have seen in the last few years, indeed in the last few months. The framers wrote the impeachment clause to protect the American people from such a president. The impeachment clause exists to protect our freedom and our democracy in between elections. It exists to remind presidents that they serve the public, not the other way around. It is a reminder to presidents that they answer to something greater than themselves. It confirms that nobody in America is above the law, not even the president. But as we have discussed, the impeachment power does not magically protect us when the president commits high crimes and misdemeanors. In Benjamin Franklin's words, the framers left us a republic, if we can keep it. Now, one way we can uphold that promise is to do our duty as elected members of Congress to hold the executive branch in check. That responsibility is part of the constitutional design. The burden is ours, regardless of our political party, no matter who sits in the Oval Office. In the ordinary course, when we do our jobs, we do our nation a service by holding the executive branch, both its political leadership and its professional core, accountable to the people for its actions. And when the president's conduct exceeds the usual constitutional safeguards, it, finds that it falls on the House to investigate presidential wrongdoing and, if necessary, to, improve, to approve articles of impeachment. It then falls on the Senate to judge, convict, and remove presidents who threaten the Constitution. This entire framework depends on Congress' ability to discover and then to thoroughly investigate presidential malfeasance. If presidents could abuse their power and then conceal all the evidence from Congress, the impeachment clause would be a nullity. We, the people, would lose a vital protection. That is why officials throughout history have repeatedly recognized that subpoenas served in an impeachment inquiry must be obeyed, including by the president. It is why before President Trump, only a single official in American history has ever defied an impeachment subpoena. And that is why that official, Richard Nixon, faced an article of impeachment for doing so. As the House Judiciary Committee reasoned in its analysis of Nixon's obstruction, quote, unless the defiance of the House subpoenas is considered grounds for impeachment, it is difficult to conceive of any president acknowledging that he is obligated to supply the relevant evidence necessary for Congress to exercise his constitutional responsibility in an impeachment proceeding. Representative Robert McClory, a Republican from Illinois, explained the importance of this article of impeachment for our separation of powers. He said, 
if we refuse to recommend that the president should be impeached because of his defiance of the Congress with respect to the subpoenas that we have issued, the future respondents will be in the position where they can determine themselves what they are going to provide in an impeachment inquiry and what they are not going to provide. And this, is, and this would be particularly so in the case of an inquiry directed toward the President of the United States. So it not only affects this president, but future president, future presidents. And that's where we find ourselves now, but with even greater force. President Nixon authorized other executive branch officials and agencies to honor, legal, to honor their legal obligations. He also turned over many of his own documents. President Trump, in contrast, directed his entire administration, every agency, every office, and every official not to cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. As in Nixon's case, President Trump's obstruction is merely an extension of his cover-up. As in Nixon's case, President Trump's obstruction reveals consciousness of guilt. Innocent people do not act this way. They do not hide all the evidence. And like Nixon, President Trump has offered an assortment of arguments to excuse his obstruction. But as was true in Nixon's case, none of these excuses can succeed. At bottom, these arguments amount to a claim that the president can dictate the terms of his own impeachment inquiry. President Trump's lawyers may insist that his grounds for defying Congress are unique and limited, that they only apply here just this one time, that it was the House, not the president, that broke from precedent, that he would gladly comply with subpoenas if only the House would do as he insists. That is pure fantasy. The president's arguments are not a one-ticket ride, one-ride ticket. They're not unique to these facts. Unless they are firmly and finally rejected here, these bogus excuses will reappear every time Congress investigates any president for serious abuses of power. Every single time. They will con constitute a playbook for ignoring oversight available to all future presidents, Democratic or Republican. These arguments are not consistent with the Constitution. They are loyally window dressing for an unprecedented dangerous power grab. Plenty of presidents and judges have complained about impeachment inquiries, declaring their own innocence, attacking the House's motives, and insisting that due process entitled them to all sorts of things. But no president or judge, except Richard Nixon, has ever defied subpoenas on that basis. And no president or judge, none, has ever directed others to defy subpoenas categorically across the board. They have all eventually recognized their obligations under the law. President Trump stands alone. And if President Trump is permitted to defy our subpoenas here in an impeachment inquiry, when the courts have said the congressional power of inquiry is at its highest, imagine what future presidents will do when we attempt to conduct routine oversight. President Trump is the first leader of this nation to declare that nobody can investigate him for official misconduct except on his own terms. In word and in deed, President Trump has declared himself above the law. He has done so because he is guilty and wishes to conceal as much of the evidence from the American people and from this body as he can. In that, he must not succeed. If President Trump is allowed to remain in office after this conduct, historians will mark the date that this Senate allowed this president 
to break one of our mightiest defenses against tyranny. They will wonder why Congress so readily surrendered one of its core constitutional powers. They will wonder why Congress admitted that a president can get away with anything, can violate any constitutional rule, any liberty, any request for information, and get away with it simply by saying, I don't have to answer your questions. Congress has no power to make me answer questions about my conduct. That's what is at stake. And future people will despair that future presidents can abuse their power without fear of consequence or constraint. Let's begin with a legal premise of the second article of impeachment. Congress has the power to investigate presidents for official misconduct. This premise is indisputable. Article 1 of the Constitution, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. Each House may determine the rules of its own proceedings. Our investigations are grounded in Article 1 of the Constitution, which grants Congress all legislative powers and authorizes each House to determine its own rules. As the Supreme Court has explained, the Constitution thus vests the House and the Senate with a power of inquiry that is, and I quote, penetrating and far-reaching, close quote. Moreover, Congress can effectuate that power of inquiry by issuing subpoenas commanding the recipient to provide documents or to testify under oath. Compliance with, with subpoenas is mandatory. It's not at the option of the executive or the president. As the Supreme Court has explained, quote, it is unquestionably the duty of all citizens to cooperate with the Congress in its efforts to obtain the facts needed for intelligent legislative action. It is their unremitting obligation to respond to subpoenas, to respect the dignity of the Congress and its committees, and to testify with respect to matters within the province of proper investigation. More recently, United States District Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson has elaborated, quote, blatant defiance of Congress' centuries-old power to compel the performance of witnesses is not an abstract duty, injury, nor is it a mere banal insult to our democracy. It is an affront to the mechanism for curbing abuses of power that the framers carefully crafted for our protection, and thereby recalcitrant witnesses actually undermine the broader interests of the people of the United States. In recognition of the important role that congressional inquiries play in protecting our democracy and in guarding the American people, it is unlawful to obstruct them. Of course, while Congress investigates many issues, one of the most important is misconduct in the executive branch. There is a long history of congressional investigations into the executive branch. To name a few especially famous cases, Congress has investigated claims that President Lincoln mishandled Civil War military strategy, the infamous Teapot Dome scandal under President Harding, President Nixon's involvement in the Watergate scandal, President Reagan's involvement in the Iran-Contra affair, President Clinton's real estate dealings in the Monica Lewinsky scandal, warrantless wiretapping under President George Bush, attacks on American personnel in Benghazi under President Obama. Since the dawn of the Republic, presidents have recognized Congress's power to investigate the executive branch. Even in sensitive investigations involving national security and foreign policy, Presidents have provided Congress with access to senior officials and important documents. For example, 
In the Iran-Contra inquiry, President Reagan's former National Security Advisor, Oliver North, and the former Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs, John Poindexter, testified before Congress. President Reagan also produced relevant excerpts of his personal diaries to Congress. During the Clinton administration, Congress obtained testimony from top advisors, including the President's Chief of Staff, Mac McClarty, his Chief of Staff, Erskine Bowles, White House Counsel Bernie Nussbaum, and White House Counsel Jack Quinn. In the Benghazi investigation, President Obama made many of his top aides available for transcribed interviews, including National Security Advisor Susan Rice and Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications Benjamin Rhodes. The Obama administration in that case also produced more than 75,000 pages of documents, including 1,450 pages of White House emails with communications of senior officials on the National Security Council. To be sure, certain House Republicans complained loudly that the Obama administration's response to, to the Benghazi investigation was insufficient. Just imagine how they would have reacted if President Obama had ordered total defiance of all subpoenas. There would have been outrage. Why? Because Congress unquestionably has the authority to investigate presidential conduct. Now, not only does Congress have the power to investigate the executive, but as we have discussed, Article I of the Constitution gives the House the sole power of impeachment. The framers intended this power to be an essential check on out-of-control presidents. But it does not work automatically. The House must investigate, question witnesses, and review documents. Only then can it decide whether to approve or not approve articles of impeachment. Therefore, when the House determines that the president may have committed high crimes and misdemeanors, it has the constitutional duty to investigate his conduct. In such cases, the House acts not only pursuant to its ordinary legislative authority, but also serves as a grand inquest of the nation. Because an impeachment inquiry wields one of the greatest powers in the Constitution, a power that exists specifically to constrain presidents, its subpoenas are backed with the full force of the impeachment clause. They cannot be thwarted by ordinary executive privileges or ordinary objections. It is therefore presumed, as President Polk conceded over 150 years ago, that, quote, all the archives and papers of the executive departments, public or private, would be subject to inspection. And, quote, every facility in the power of the executive would be afforded to enable the House to prosecute the investigation. What investigation? The impeachment investigation of President Polk. President Polk's statement, which we will return to, was no outlier. Presidents have long understood that they must comply with impeachment inquiries. Consistent with this understanding, in the history of the, of the Republic, no president has ever claimed the unilateral prerogative to categorically defy a House impeachment inquiry. On the contrary, every president facing this issue has agreed that Congress possesses a broad and penetrating power of inquiry when investigating grounds for impeachment. This directly refutes President Trump's claim that he obstructed Congress to protect the office of the president. Every prior occupant of his office has disavowed the limitless power that he asserts. That matters. As the Supreme Court explained just a few years ago, and I quote, long settled and established practice is a consideration of great weight. 
in a proper interpretation of constitutional provisions regulating the relationship between Congress and the President. So let's take a quick tour of the historical record. To begin at the beginning, a sweltering summer in Philadelphia, 1787, the framers discussed at length the balance between presidents and Congress. Remember, they had just fought a bloody war to rid themselves of a tyrant. And they were very conscious they didn't want another tyrant. When impeachment came up, they agreed it would limit the president's authority. But a strong majority of framers saw that as a virtue, not a vice. They wanted to empower the president, but also to keep his power from getting out of hand. Yet impeachment could not serve that role if the House were unable to investigate the president for suspected high crimes and misdemeanors. This was recognized early on, starting with our very first president. In 1796, the House requested that President Washington provide it with sensitive diplomatic materials relating to the hugely un unpopular Jay Treaty with Great Britain. President Washington declined, declined since this request intruded upon his executive functions. But Washington agreed that impeachment would change his calculus. In the ensuing debates, it was noted on the House floor that Washington had admitted, quote, that where the House expresses an intention to impeach, the right to demand from the executive all papers and information in his possession belongs to it. All papers and information. This was only the first of many references to that point in our constitutional tradition. For example, less than 40 years later, in 1833, Justice Joseph Story remarked upon the dangers of presidential obstruction. He wrote, the power of impeachment will generally be applied to persons holding high offices under the government, and it is of great consequence that the president should not have the power of preventing a thorough investigation of their own conduct. Consistent with this teaching, President Polk later offered his clear and insightful explanation of why presidents must honor all impeachment subpoenas. As I mentioned just a moment ago, he said, and I quote, it may be alleged that the power of impeachment belongs to the House of Representatives and that with a view to the exercise of this power, that House has the right to investigate the conduct of all public officers under the government. This is cheerfully admitted. Decades later, during our first presidential impeachment inquiry, President Andrew Johnson recognized Congress's power to thoroughly investigate him and his executive branch subordinates. In 1867, for example, the House Judiciary Committee obtained executive and presidential records. The committee interviewed cabinet officers and presidential aides about cabinet meetings and private conversations with the president by his top aides and cabinet officials. And multiple witnesses, moreover, answered questions about the opinions of the president, statements made by the president, and advice given to the president. There is no evidence that Johnson ever asserted any privilege to prevent disclosure of presidential conversations to the committee or failed to comply with any of the committee's requests. Thus, in the first 80 years of the Republic, Presidents Washington, Polk, and Johnson, along with members and committees of the House and a Supreme Court Justice, all recognized that Congress is authorized by the Constitution to investigate for impeachment and that presidents are obligated to give all information requested. President Trump's attempt to stonewall Congress 
would have shocked those presidents. With only a few exceptions, invocations of the impeachment power subsided from 1868 to 1972. Yet even in that period, while objecting to ordinary legislative oversight, Presidents Ulysses Grant, Grover Cleveland, and Theodore Roosevelt each noted <coughs> that Congress could obtain key executive branch documents in an impeachment inquiry. They thus confirmed yet again that impeachment is different. Under the Constitution, it requires full compliance. Then came Watergate, when President Nixon abused the powers of his office to undermine his political opponents. But even Nixon, even Nixon understood that he must comply with subpoenas for information relating to his misconduct. Thus, he stated in March 1973 regarding the Senate's Watergate investigation, I quote, all members of the White House staff will appear voluntarily when requested by the committee. They will testify under oath and they will answer fully all questions. As a result, many senior White House officials testified, including White House Counsel John Dean, White House Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman, and Deputy Assistant to the President Alexander Butterfield. In addition, Nixon produced many documents in response to congressional subpoenas, including notes from meetings with the President. As the House Judiciary Committee explained at the time, 69 officials had been subjected to impeachment investigations throughout American history. Yet, and I quote, with the possible exception of one minor official who invoked the privilege against self-incrimination, not one of them challenged the power of the committee conducting the investigation to compel the production of evidence it deemed necessary. President Nixon's production of records was incomplete, however, in a very important respect. He did not produce tape recordings of key Oval Office conversations. In response, the House Judiciary Committee approved an article of impeachment against the President for obstruction of Congress. Twenty-four years later, the House undertook impeachment proceedings against President Clinton. Consistent with President, and entirely unlike President Trump, Clinton pledged to cooperate fully with the impeachment investigations. Ultimately, he provided written responses to 81 inter interrogatories from the Judiciary Committee, and three witnesses provided testimony during the Senate trial. As this review of the historical record proves, presidents have long recognized that the Constitution compels them to honor subpoenas served by the House in an impeachment inquiry. Stated simply, President Trump's categorical blockade of the House, his refusal to honor any subpoenas, his order that all subpoenas without even knowing what they were, all subpoenas be defied, has no analog in the history of the Republic. Nothing even comes close. He has engaged in obstruction that several of his predecessors have expressly said is forbidden, and that led to an article of impeachment against Nixon. President Trump is an outlier. He is the first and only president ever to declare himself unaccountable and to ignore subpoenas backed by the Constitution's impeachment power. If he is not removed from office, if he is permitted to defy the Congress entirely, categorically, to say that, that subpoenas from Congress in an impeachment inquiry are nonsense, then we will have lost, the House will have lost, the Senate certainly will have lost all power to hold any president accountable. This is a determination by President Trump that he wants to be all-powerful. 
He does not have to, to, to respect the Congress. He does not have to respect the representatives of the people. Only his will goes. He is a dictator. This must not stand, and that is why another reason he must be removed from office.